And let me encourage you, if you've got a Bible, to turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to have a look at the Bible together, Matthew chapter 5. And I'm going to read um, Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 to 10, which is commonly known as the Beatitudes. And you'll see why um, I've particularly chosen that passage um, in a moment. But let me read it for us first, then we'll pray, and then we'll explore it together. So Matthew chapter 5. Starting at verse 3, Jesus is teaching his disciples, and he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Why don't we pray? Father, we ask for your help. Give us alert minds. Give us the help of your spirit. Give us hearts that are ready to listen and understand. And we ask that you'd speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Great. Well, over these um, summer weeks, um, we're having a couple of weeks on how we speak to one another. And then we're going to have a couple of weeks on how we speak to God. Um, And we started last week thinking about how we speak to one another. And we're going to pick that up this week. And I'm going to use the Beatitudes, not in the way probably that it primarily Jesus meant them, but to try and show you the way that these Beatitudes might impact the way we speak. That's what we're going to try and do. It will make sense as we go through, I hope. Um, But our speech is a big deal. I don't know if you've been watching any of the Olympics coverage. Um, One of the Olympics BBC presenters got herself into all sorts of hot water this week, or last couple of weeks, Alex Scott, because she doesn't say the G's at the end of her words. And someone was very offended publicly on Twitter and said, how dare you speak like this? This is spoiling the whole Olympics for me. Which is a shame because most of the Olympics events are things like swimming, you know, (laughs) running, shooting. I mean, most of them have a G at the end. And she made a very powerful defense. They said, I'm not ashamed of where I come from. I'm not ashamed of my background. Because actually the way she spoke told you something about who she was. And therefore to attack her speech was to attack her identity, right? And I want to say, I think Alex Scott is a brilliant presenter, by the way. And I think she did a brilliant job. But I want us to think about that link between who we are and the way we speak. It might be in terms of our accents. I I, am... Here's a little free hint for you. Please don't be offended if this is um, particularly offensive to you. But if, if you meet someone and you think they might be Australian, I've discovered over time that a really good way to approach that conversation is to say, are you from New Zealand? <laughs> and the reason is because if they are from New Zealand, it's incredible that you got it right. They're so excited. And if they're from Australia, they're chilled and they get over it. So that's my little piece of advice. It works for Americans and Canadians as well. Say, are you from Canada? Anyway, doesn't matter. 
Because people love it when they know where you're from. Are you from Holland? Are you from this little district in Holland? People, wow, you know. You see, it matters to us because our speech betrays something about who we are. And when we try to put on an act and be something we're not, people can often tell. Dick Van Dyke in uh, Mary Poppins put on his Cockney accent. No one was fooled for a second. So here's my question. What does someone who is a citizen of heaven sound like? What does their speech sound like? If you belong to the kingdom of heaven, what will your speech be like? Would it be possible for someone to listen to you, not your accent, let me hasten to that, not your accent, but your speech, would it be possible for someone to listen to you and say, wow, you... You speak differently. You don't speak like you're from this world. You sound like you're from another kingdom. I wonder if there's anything in our speech which would make people stop and wonder. So what I want to do this afternoon is explore that idea. What does it sound like to speak like someone who belongs to the kingdom of heaven? And that's why I started with the Beatitudes. Because in the Beatitudes, in this, it starts a sermon, called the famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus preached to a crowd of people to explain to them what it meant to be part of his kingdom. Jesus said he'd come as the Son of God from heaven to bring the kingdom of heaven into this world. Heaven invaded earth, and now the kingdom of heaven was here. And Jesus came and he said, come follow me, come be part of my kingdom, come be, part, come be one of my sheep, come be part of this kingdom of love and joy and peace. And then he says, and if you join my kingdom, this is what you will be like. You'll be poor in spirit. You will mourn. You will be meek. You'll hunger and thirst for righteousness. You'll be merciful. You'll be pure in heart. You'll be a peacemaker. And you'll be persecuted because of righteousness. Those are the marks of people who belong to the kingdom of heaven. Now let me say this very clearly. The only way into the kingdom of heaven is through Jesus, the one who came and died for us, who gave his life on the cross, who paid for our sin, who said, come into my kingdom. That's the only way into this kingdom. This is not how you get in. This is describing what those who begin to follow Jesus start to live like. But if we are these characteristics, and if these things are growing in us, then surely it will show in the way we speak, won't it? Because there's a link between who we are, the kingdom that we belong to, and the way we speak. And so I want to take each of these eight state descriptions of people in the kingdom of God, heaven, and I want us to think, what would it look like to have this sort of speech? We're going to do this quickly. Okay, don't worry. I know eight is a lot. Okay, eight is more than the standard sermon allowance. I realize that. I'm treading on your good favor and kindness. But hopefully it will make sense as you go through. And I hope that some of these will help us to be challenged and to be encouraged and to say, Lord, here's, here's how we should be hearing this. Not hearing it going, oh, I'm so rubbish. I'm so rubbish. Here's how we should be hearing it. Lord Jesus, I want to be like that. Please make me like that. Please make me like that. Please make me like that. That's how I'd love you to be responding as we listen. 
So here we go. Let's, let's start with the first one. Let's crack on. Um, blessed are the poor in spirit. Right? What will a poor in spirit person sound like? How would you spot someone who's poor in spirit? Of course, that means you've got to work out what being poor in spirit means. But to be poor in spirit means that you know that you are empty. It means that you know that you're not all that. I guess it's the opposite of self-confidence and self-assertive and self-self-self. The poor in spirit person says, no, not me. The poor in spirit person says, I... I have nothing to offer. I'm broken. I'm weak. I'm powerless. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. I need help. It means to be needy. Okay, so what's one of them going to sound like? Have you ever met one of them? Well, you might say, well, one of them is going to be miserable. (laughs) Because they're going to walk around going, oh, I'm rubbish. I'm just rubbish. That's not poor in spirit, all right? That's just obsessed with yourself and how rubbish you are. That's not poor in spirit. I'll show you what a poor in spirit person sounds like. It means worship. That's how you spot someone. That's what comes out of a poor in spirit person's mouth. Because rather than boasting about themselves and speaking about themselves, what they love to do is to speak about God. Because if you're poor in spirit and you meet the God who saves you and you meet the God who loves you, then you want to talk about him. Oh yeah, worship will come out of your mouth. I don't mean singing worship. I don't mean just singing. Certainly singing will come out of a poor in spirit person's mouth. But I mean through all of life. A speaking about God. It says, oh, as you walk down the street and you see a sunrise, you say, Father, you made that. And as you feel your own weakness, you say, Father, please help me. I'm weak. I need your help. That's poor in spirit. It's worship, right? There's a famous um, thing that C.S. Lewis said that Tim Keller quotes a lot, which is about... Being humble is not about thinking less of yourself, it's about thinking of yourself less. Right? It's, it's good, right? You have to stop and think about it for a second. It's actually true about our speech. Right? To be poor in spirit in our speech doesn't make, mean speaking less of ourselves. It doesn't mean saying, I'm rubbish. It means speaking about ourselves less. It's not about me. It's about him. And if my favorite topic of conversation is me, And if I love to talk about me, whether it's my successes or my problems, it's about me. But the poor in spirit person will talk about him. Isn't he great? Isn't he glorious? Isn't he good? Isn't he beautiful? So I wonder in this last week, what's come out of our mouths? Worship? I guess most of us would be honest and say, well, maybe a bit, maybe not. Well, as you sit here, why not be asking the Holy Spirit, even now, Holy Spirit, would you help me to speak like that? I want to speak less of myself and more of you. I need to move on. Second one, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Well, what does a mourner sound like? 
Well, I want to suggest that um, it means lament, not spin. In other words, we're people who are able to face up to the reality of this world. Not, not in a Monty Python Life of Brian, completely out of touch um, illustration. Um, Monty Python Life of Brian, there was a famous song that says, always look on the bright side of life. Uh, anyway. Um, that's not what comes out of the mouth of someone who belongs to the kingdom of heaven. Someone who belongs to the kingdom of heaven doesn't s- skip through life going, isn't life wonderful? No, someone who, goes, who belongs to the kingdom of heaven, what comes out of their mouth is a deep sorrow. A sorrow that things aren't right. A sorrow that things aren't right in me and a sorrow that things aren't right in our world. And we don't ignore those things and we don't switch off the news and we don't just kind of look on the bright side of life and we don't pack all our troubles in an old kit bag and smile, smile, smile and all these nonsense things that we're told to do. Instead, we lament, we are sorry. And in fact, if you read the Bible, there are whole songs in the Bible which are, Lord, how long? By the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and we wept when we remembered Zion. Yeah, people who belong to the kingdom of heaven know how to cry. Which also means they know what to say when someone else is suffering. This is one of the things I think we're so bad at in our culture. We don't know what to say. You know, perhaps someone's just had a loved one who's died. Or perhaps someone is crying and we think, oh, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to say. Kingdom of heaven people do know what to say. They say, I'm so sorry. This, this is so wrong. And we weep. And we point them to our Father in heaven. Jesus says, that's what comes out of the mouth of those who belong to the kingdom of heaven. It's real. We don't spin things. We don't try and make excuses. We don't try and show ourselves in a good light and say, oh, I'm fine, excellent, I'm fine, everything's awesome. No, we're honest. So again, are you someone who knows how to lament? Do you know how to cry? Again, we need to be careful that we don't slip into self. I'm not talking about self-pity. I'm not talking about introspection. I'm talking about knowing how to cry with one another, knowing how to speak to one another, words of lament and sorrow. The third one we'll do more quickly because we did this last week, and if you want a recap, you can listen to the sermon from last week. Um, That is that our words will be soft, not harsh, or gentle. We talked last week about the gentle answer that turns away wrath, but a harsh word that stirs up anger. So when Jesus says, blessed are the meek, the meek people are the people who aren't always fighting for their rights, pushing their you know, pointy elbows, trying to get to the front of the queue. No, no, they're the ones who say, no, I, you go. I'll hold back for you. May our words be meek this week. May our words be gentle, soft, not shouty with sharp edges. But we need to keep going. The fourth one will be words of integrity. 
not careless words. Look at verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. If you belong to the kingdom of heaven, you suddenly become very concerned about what is right. You become concerned about what is true. You become concerned about what God says is right. You see, the danger is often what we're consumed with is what is fashionable. What is society saying? What is society talking about? What are the latest subjects that seem to be on trend? What are things that I can speak about that people go, oh yeah, you're really with it? What are things that people will clap me for and give me applause? But when you become part of the kingdom of heaven, you care about what is right. You speak about what is right. You have an integrity to your speech. An integrity that means I will say what is true, no matter how hard that might be. I'll say it gently because we're going to speak softly, not harshly, but I will speak righteousness. And it means that when I speak, I will be a person whose word can be trusted. You see, when, when the Bible talks about God as being righteous, it puts all these sorts of words together, words like righteous, faithful, true. God doesn't make a promise and then break it because he's righteous. God doesn't say, look, I'm going to do this for you, and then say, oh, actually, I, I forgot. Really sorry. There's this beautiful phrase um, in the book of Joshua, which is repeated. It says, not one of God's good promises failed. Isn't that stunning? And when you join the kingdom of heaven, you begin to be like your father. Not one of his good promises failed. Oh my word, if only, if only that could be said of my life. Not one of John T's good promises ever failed. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? Imagine living a life where at the end of it, they wrote on your tombstone, not one of their promises ever failed. That is what Jesus is making us. That is what kingdom of heaven speaking looks like. Now remember, it may be that we're sitting here going, oh man, I've done that, I've failed it. Even this week I promised to do this and I didn't do it. This isn't to beat us up. This is to help us to long for this. So if you find yourself feeling, oh, I feel so far short of this, well, this is what Jesus is calling us to to ask him, Holy Spirit, would, would you make me like that? Okay, fifth one. Where it says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Mercy is a, a difficult word, and I, I thought for quite a long time about how to define this one. Because there's a number of ways you could go with this. Mercy is about kindness. It's about compassion. But I think when Jesus says it in Matthew's gospel, it's got a slightly stronger meaning than just that. Because in Matthew 18, he tells a story about a man who owes a bunch of money who comes to the king and says, please have mercy on me. And what he's asking the king to do is to cancel his debt, right? That's what mercy looks like. And the king says, yes, I will cancel your debt. And then out goes this man free. Then he meets a mate of his who owes him some money. The mate says to him, could you have mercy on me? He says, no, pay me back. And Jesus says, "That how, how dare you be shown mercy and then not show mercy to others? 
So I have to find um, speaking with mercy as a debt-canceling speech. <laughs> that is, rather than holding grudges, right? Because, boy, we sometimes hold debts against people. And that can come out in our speaking. We'll speak slightly harshly because we remember what you said 10 years ago. We remember what you did. Actually, merciful speech is speech that doesn't hold grudges, that pours out grace, that pours out kindness. And even when someone has wronged you and you've spoken kindly to them and they wrong you again, you show grace again. You say, this is ridiculous. How could you possibly live like this? You're going to get taken for a ride. In fact, someone came to Jesus and said, well, how many times have I got to do this? Jesus, have I got to do it seven times? Is that enough? Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. You say, how could I ever do that? Well, it's because that's exactly how God treats us. Because every day when I go to him and I say, Father, I'm sorry, I failed again. He doesn't say, well, we'll just add that to the debt and we'll pay that later. He says, you're forgiven. And his words, you're forgiven, cancel the debt. It's gone. The slate is wiped clean. And as God cancels our debts, so let us be people who cancel one another's debts with our speaking. Not holding grudges, not reminding people of how many times we've had to do this before, not keeping a tally. But when someone comes and asks for forgiveness, the words that come out of our mouth are yes. <laughs> yes. That's what kingdom of heaven people look like. This is how you spot them. The next one is blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I want to suggest that that means that kingdom of heaven people speak beautifully. I don't mean they speak beautifully in that they speak in Shakespearean language. Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? I don't even know <laughs> what that is. What I mean is that there is the things they speak about, there is a beauty about them. They speak about things that are pure. And everybody knows that purity is attractive. Advertisers know that. That's why they use the word pure to sell things. Pure water, pure orange juice, pure whatever, washing liquid stuff. Because we're attracted to purity. They do not sell pollution. <laughs> Polluted orange juice. Poisonous. Those are words that we know are unattractive. They're ugly. They're, they, they repel us. Purity draws us. And so when we speak, do we speak in a way that draws people to the beauty of our God? You see, he is the one who is perfectly pure. Not a single stain or blemish or anything to spoil him. No impurity in him at all. Which means that everything he speaks is pure. Everything he says is pure. I wonder if that's true about the way we speak. Or do we engage in shabby conversation? Talking about things that we shouldn't be talking about. The Bible talks about it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. 
We live in a culture that has taken what the disobedient do in secret and has put TV cameras there so that we can all sit and watch. And then we can talk about it. Do you, do you not see that that is shabby? <laughs> That's not pure. There's no purity. And, and what, I'm, what I'm asking is that God by His Spirit would create within us such a desire for purity that we'd say, Holy Spirit, let, my, let what pours out of my mouth be pure. So that others might see something of the purity of Jesus. Okay, two more. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. I love this. I mean, look at this. This is what kingdom of heavens speak like. Their words are healing, not divisive and destructive. They're words that take what is broken and piece it back together again. You know, what all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't do for Humpty Dumpty. That's what we do for one another with our words. Because often, families and churches and places and friendships and all sorts of things can become very Humpty Dumpty-esque. We all fall off a wall and we find ourselves broken in pieces. Relationships broken. And it's so easy to, to, with our words, just... Stick a knife in and widen the gap with gossip. It's so easy to to look at others and point the finger. What about if our words were healing words? Imagine we made a commitment that we would never speak badly about someone. That if we had a problem with someone, we'd speak it to their face and we'd speak it in love and we'd speak it kindly. And we wouldn't say it to everybody else in order to stir up trouble. Now, I know that sometimes we need to talk to others about it. I get that. There's a difference, right? There's a difference between gossip and seeking help. I understand that. But I think words have the power to put relationships back together again. That's what kingdom of heaven people do. And you may say, that sounds so hard, but that's what God's done for us. How great the chasm that stood between us and God. How great the distance, how great the brokenness, how high the mountain that we could not climb. How great that divide that we could not cross. And God is the great peacemaker who has reconciled, restored, healed that great divide. So imagine if in your workplace, you were the one who spoke words that healed relationships. Imagine in your, with your housemates, in your family, if you're married with your husband or wife, that you were the one who took the initiative to speak words of healing. And then maybe you say, yeah, yeah, but why don't they do it? <laughs> well, perhaps if you start it, they might. And even if they don't, God's done it for you. And we live out the kingdom of heaven in the way we speak. And the final one is that we will speak words that are costly, not flattering. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You can spot a kingdom of heaven person because not everything they say is very popular. If you find someone who everybody thinks is everything they say is awesome and they're just wonderful and they're fantastic and everything, everyone thinks they're wonderful, they're probably not a kingdom of heaven person. Because Jesus says when we speak, some people will be offended. Some people will find it hard. Some people will persecute. And it's so tempting in those moments to to flatter. It's so tempting in those moments to, to say what people want to hear, but instead Jesus says, no, speak my words. Now, I don't know how you find those eight things. I, I found it quite a helpful diagnostic. It's like a diagnostic tool um, where, where you can sort of use these words to say, what, what's going on in my heart? What is my speech like? And I don't know which one of those is particularly challenging to you. Um, it may be that one or two particularly jump out at you. You say, that's, man, that really, I find that really convicting. But as we finish, let's wrap all this back together again. Because what I want you to remember is that this is what God is doing in us. <laughs> Not what we have to do ourselves. Right, here's, my, here's my great fear, that you leave church today with a Dick Van Dyke mentality. If you don't know what I'm talking about, he's an, he's an American actor who had to play a Cockney chimney sweep in Mary Poppins. He put on a Mary Poppins accent, a, a, a Cockney accent, London accent, and it was appalling. All right, Mary Poppins, like sort of thing. It was awful. Here's the problem that we say, yeah, I should try and be more like this. And we try and speak the speak. Yeah, I'm going to try and be more gentle. Yeah, I'm going to try and um, be more beautiful in what I say. I'm going to try and be more healing in what I say. And we try and speak the speak, but it's not the real. So I want us not to leave with a Dick Van Dyke mentality that says, oh, I must try harder. I want us to leave with more the Alex Scott mentality that said, this is who I am. And I will speak the way that God has made me to be. And that we will be asking God to make us more and more this way. You see, if you're here this afternoon and you're not a Christian, whatever you do, don't hear me saying that if you speak like this, you can be a Christian too. No, the way to become a Christian is to come to the one who loves us, to come to the one that we need, to come poor in spirit with empty hands, to come mourning over our sin, to come knowing that we need him, to come to the one who's made peace with us, the one who is gentle with us, the one who is righteous, the one who will never fail in his promises. We come to him and we say, would you forgive me? Could I be part of your kingdom? And he says, of course. And we enter his kingdom. And then he says, now I'm going to change you to be more and more like that. But let's be asking him, why not take a couple of these into this week and pray every day, perhaps even, that the Holy Spirit would help you to speak this way, give you the power to speak that way. I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then we're going to um, share communion together um, and remind ourselves 
of our great King. Just as we sit quietly, it's a staggering thing that Jesus did all these things perfectly. Jesus is the perfect one. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came. You spoke perfect words, beautiful words. You then died on a cross in our place. You rose from the dead and then you poured out your spirit on us so that we could speak like you. Well, Jesus, we don't want to play act. We don't want to pretend to be something we're not. We want you to, we want to be yours and we want to live this way in your power. So Lord, please meet with us, help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.